Sifter for the ear. News, interviews, reviews, cinema, TV, streaming, action. Hi, y'all. This is Jerry Williams, a.k.a. TV Jerry. After being canceled for a few years, the Golden Globes return next Tuesday night, the 10th of January, on NBC and Peacock. I mean, I met Sam. That's when my life really took a turn. This is Keanu, our ocelot rescue. He will be reintroduced into the wild in a year and a half. I didn't know if it was going to be doable. Their alternative is living a life in the zoo or dying in a much worse way. That was an excerpt from Wildcat, which is now one of the top films streaming on Amazon Prime Video. It follows a young British Afghan war vet who travels deep into the Peruvian rainforest where he works to reintroduce ocelots into the wild. And here's the cool part. It was created by two Richmonders, my guests today, Melissa Lesh and Trevor Frost. We'll talk about the challenges of shooting a doc for 18 months deep in a jungle with all kinds of setbacks, including brain surgery. Sifter, review of the week. Roald Dahl's Matilda the Musical on Netflix. Roald Dahl tells stories for children that are always a bit twisted and definitely dark. Based on his book about a young girl with special talents, this musical goes full force. From the enchanting opening baby sequence, it's obvious that we're in for some ingenious entertainment. Alicia Weir plays the title role with a plum, but it's Emma Thompson as the wicked headmistress who steals the show. Her character alone is devilishly evil, and her musical numbers are wickedly funny. Tom mentions catchy songs are made even more clever with Ellen Kane's lively, inventive choreography. Director Matthew Warchus continually surprises with lovely visuals and off-kilter approaches that add to the enjoyment. Sure, this is aimed at kids and our families, but the energetic staging is so inventive and the performances are so much fun that everybody can enjoy this devilish delight. I gave it five out of five stars. So, Melissa and Trevor, what are your backgrounds? How did you two end up together? The James River, actually. Really? Here in Richmond, Virginia. Yeah. So Was he drowning and you saved his life or something? Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, maybe the opposite. No, yeah, we, we both went to VCU. Trevor was there quite a bit ahead of me, so we were there at different times. But because of mutual friends and our love for wild places and nature, we both found ourselves on the James River. He had been kayaking for a long time, and I I was just starting to whitewater kayak. So we met, I think, literally on the James River and uh, started working together quite quickly after that. Trevor, you were in biology, and Melissa, for years, it just said former indie filmmaker VCU. Does that mean you were teaching, or were you just was that just meant you were a student? It's a nice way of saying you were a student. No, I actually went to school for painting and printmaking. Oh, cool. Um, okay. So I was in the fine arts, but I was also taking biology on the side and trying to work summers with the Fish and Wildlife Service. Right. So it was kind of juggling the arts and sciences and then taught myself film and figured out, you know, that was a good way to combine the two. So why don't you give us a quick nutshell version of what Wildcat is about? You know, there's a, a number of themes that Melissa and I have sort of latched onto. That would be like the art of letting go, you know, and learning to like learning to love is and part of that is is learning to let go. Certainly another would be, you know, being open about your your struggles, like when you're struggling with something, because it's something that most of us tend to just hide and and, and right. we don't actually share when we're struggling. Um, we're starting to see people like Greta Thunberg, the climate activist. She talks about her Asperger's as a superpower. 
And, you know, I certainly think about like my own struggle with depression and anxiety differently as a result of making this movie. Tell them about some of the upbeat things about the animals and the wildlife and the conservation, because I think that's the second prong of that. And I think that's what will lure people in. And then I think the stories about mental issues, you grow into that or you accept that more once you've started with the ocelots. You want to give us a little, tell them what the ocelots are about? On the face value, this film is about a couple in the Amazon who fall in love and rescue wildlife from the illegal pet trade, particularly two wildcats, two ocelots. But, you know, what we really were exploring and kind of the entry point of what we were interested in when we started this film was about the healing power of nature mm -hmm. and the story of redemption and second chances. And so you know, Harry's journey, it's very complex. And let me just interrupt you real quick. Harry is the Afghan vet. Harry is one of the main characters. Right, right. He is the British soldier who went to Afghanistan, came back uh, with severe PTSD and depression, and essentially went to the Peruvian Amazon to disappear, to, to end his life. But there he meets an incredible woman, a young scientist and uh, animal rescuer who Together, you know, they take on the the reintroduction of this ocelot. I think that that's kind of the plot. But, you know, what it's really about when we get into it, I think we're exploring, like I mentioned, you know, the power of these wild places, how we cope with trauma. And one doesn't necessarily negate the other. And that is the love, the joy, the beauty, the levity, and also you know, the destruction, the environmental destruction, or, you know, the the deep darkness of kind of the human state of mind. I know that you've been interested in wildlife and you made uh, the documentary Person of the Forest, which is about orangutans in Borneo. How did you get this gig? What inspired you to, did you find him first? D did you hear about Rewild first or how did you actually get into this project? I was working on a separate project in the Peruvian Amazon and it had nothing to do with this film. And I was, I basically was was down there, wasn't having a lot of luck with the other project, was sitting in a hotel lobby one day and Harry actually walked by. I heard a little bit about it at that point and was quite intrigued. And then I had the opportunity to meet Harry and Samantha some days later in the same hotel. And, and they, they shared with me some footage that they had from their time together working in the Amazon. And I was just really pulled in by the, the quality of what they had filmed, but also, you know, I think more importantly, what they chose to record and what I mean by that is they chose to keep recording even in the most difficult moments. Being a producer myself, I noticed, I kept watching, wait a minute, now there's somebody else shooting that. That could be a lockdown camera. That could be a GoPro. That could be the phone. How did all that footage get acquired? Because there's a, what, thousand hours I heard, something like that? Yeah. So when Trevor first met Harry and they showed him the hard drive, that was all filmed before we got onto the project. Most of it was kind of scientific documentation. What was uh, the cat? The cat at the time was Khan. What was he learning? How was he growing? You know, what were some of the prey species? You know, there was such a, a novelty and it was such an amazing experience walking through the jungle with this wild cat. Right. And so it was almost like I just, you know, he wanted to document every moment of it. So all of that footage had been captured and was on this hard drive, essentially that they handed to Trevor when he met them in 2018. And it was then that fall, so only about a month later, that we got a call from Samantha on the satellite phone saying, we just rescued a second cat. And at that point, you know, we knew that we could go on this much longer journey. Okay, we can follow this in real time. This is a second chance. Let and me just interrupt real quickly so people don't get excited. Keanu was the name of an ocelot, not the famous actor. 
who showed up on Correct. set for some reason. This is not Keanu Reeves. Right, right, Although right. he might have something to do with why Keanu is named Keanu. <laughs> I imagine so, yeah. We brought down better equipment, you know, made sure that they had what they needed to document this reintroduction process in the best possible way. It was very clear from the beginning that we weren't going to have access to Keanu as a part of their reintroduction protocol. Oh, wow. They didn't want anyone else other than Harry, really, and, you know, when necessary, Samantha, to be around him. We knew that that was going to be a challenge, but given the footage that we saw that he, they had already been filming with Khan um, and what they were capable of, we took that and and ran with it, literally. <laughs> Surprise guest drop in. Is this Ralph White? It is Ralph White. <gasps> Ralph! Footnote. Ralph White is a naturalist and was head of the James River Park System for 32 years, where he shaped it into the wonderful experience it is today. Since he couldn't figure out the Zoom connection, we ended up using his phone for this call, and I held it up to my microphone. If I understand correctly, it's the story of a man with PTSD who takes care of a crippled ocelot and returns it to the wild. And for me... That's a clear metaphor for the potential healing of the earth. That man is our society and that animal is our ecosystem. And it can be done. It's a hopeful statement. That's beautiful. Now, you, you told me an interesting story before we got on here about how you met Melissa. Why don't you tell people about that? That's kind of cool. Oh, Melissa came down to the park and she came down to photograph some of the rapids. I was interested in filming the sturgeon and you were on the 14th Street Bridge with Anne watching the sturgeon breach. <laughs> okay. You showed me the pictures that you took from a drone of the rapids views that I'd never seen, and I don't think anybody else had ever seen, and it was thrilling. And you were also nice enough to let me fly the little drone until I crashed it, I think. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know if I did or not, but that's my memory. It makes a better story that way, even if you didn't. It makes a better story, so we'll keep that. I think you've also met Trevor, who's, who's on this call as well. Hey, hi, Trevor. Yeah, I was really taken by you guys as a couple. I find you both fascinating people because you are so distinctly not Virginians, not (laughs) Southerners, not uh, conservative, steeped in tradition people, but rather artistic people full of energy trying to understand and capture the world. You have great adventures and live in dire poverty. (laughs) Your art consumes you and the rest is inconsequential wow wow i love you guys oh i love you ralph and i haven't seen you in such a long time i'll text you and we'll find a time okay you bet ralph thanks so much for dropping in and uh good luck with planting the rest of those trees today thank you uh we've got uh, a tree going in right as we speak i've got steve yaris from sierra club helping me and the principal is here and uh, we'll have another tree tomorrow and we'll be complete Come out and look at the Southampton Elementary School with crimson maples in the front. Wow, great. We'll have to do that. Thank you so much again, Ralph. Y'all say bye. Thank you. See you, Ralph. Ralph. I mean, he hasn't even seen the film, and he already nailed it. 
Right, right, right. And perfectly. So that's Ralph for you. So I want to ask you something, because this was really interesting to me. I noticed, you know, there's actually a compound where they were staying and they had a refrigerator and obviously they're shooting a lot of footage. So they had batteries somewhere and they were charging all this stuff. How do they get electricity? How do they get those basics? They had a solar panel that would help run some of the stuff, but it wasn't super productive. Uh, the, the refrigerator actually wasn't working most of the time. And so, you know, in terms of charging, the way that Melissa and I handled it was we would bring down lots of extra batteries. In fact, we we would leave a lot of batteries down there as well, a lot of our camera equipment so that we could actually travel with just batteries back home and bring them all back charged. And then we had some battery banks, you know, larger battery banks that we were able to travel back and forth with that we could charge our things off of. But for the most part, you know, the power was definitely one of the, the major issues we ran into. I'm sure. How many trips did y'all actually take back and forth? We did about 13. Wow. Each. Yeah. Wow. So Trevor wow. and I, at first during production, were doing trips together. And then as things started unfolding and getting more complicated, and also when you travel that much in a year and a half, you know, life at home starts to unravel. And so it became increasingly more practical to have one of us go and the other person stay. And But yeah, there's a funny story about the power situation where we were staying because there was a fridge and you see that in the film, but the fridge did not work at all. (laughs) But they thought it would work. You know, it was like maybe two degrees colder than what the actual air was, which was like (laughs) 80 to 90 degrees. So it was not a cold fridge by any means. And they would keep meat in that fridge or cheese. And it was one of the most disgusting things. It would basically be completely green. And Harry, actually, one time he was thinking about eating this chicken or something, and uh, it looked so bad. And he was like, okay, well, maybe I'll give it to Keanu. And he gave it to Keanu. Keanu wouldn't even eat it. Oh, wow. So if that tells you the kind of meat that they were eating. <laughs> yeah. Well, now you mentioned that you had some setbacks. Melissa, you had a health setback that you've talked about before. If you're comfortable talking about it, what was that? And, and how did that develop over the course of the shoot? Yeah, I had to get brain surgery during the height of production, which I had done here in Richmond. And thankfully, it went better than expected. And I recovered quite quickly. I actually found it. It was a cyst um, in the back of my brain that I found by accident in the summer of 2018. So it was about a year after that, you know, they that I was working with some amazing surgeons and doctors at VCU, and they were monitoring it over the course of that year mm-hmm. while we were producing Wildcat. And finally, it became clear that it was growing and that it was starting to cause me symptoms. It was about the size of a chicken egg. Wow. Um, so it had grown quite large and had been growing probably my entire life. And at that point, it was clear that it needed to be removed. So in the midst of making a movie, yeah. Go in for brain surgery. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's quite a story, but I'm glad it worked out. That's great. Now, I did notice also talking about production going on, there were two, I'm assuming they were indigenous men who, were, I guess, helpers who lived there. Were they the only other two people around or are there just other people who were not in the documentary? There weren't a lot of other people around. There were a few local people that helped out with some of the, the work around Oja Nueva, whether it was building structures or carrying equipment or driving boats. But in terms of where we were filming, there was actually very, there, we saw very few people. For the most part, it was just Harry and Samantha, and or sometimes it was just me and Harry or just Melissa and Harry. So it was, it was usually, uh, we very rarely interacted with other people. Right, right. Just to kind of be clear about that. So there was two sites, two research sites on 
this land. And you see that in the movie, they move Keanu up to a more remote right. area. And so Samantha has a team of people that are working with Ojanueva. And you see those, you know, people in the film, Neary is one of them, Christian is another one. So she has a team of people, Peruvians and, and international people that are helping run the organization that are paid, you know, staffs or interns. There right. are also volunteers, but where Keanu was released was, was this more remote upriver piece of land. And that was very seldom that, that anyone would come up there other than us who are filming or, you know, Harry, who's living there working with Keanu. Right, right. Now, one of the things about filming that I meant to ask earlier, and we got sidetracked, the sound was very good. And I can't imagine you're running around with a boom and half the time Harry had his shirt off. So what was the deal with that? How did you get good sound? You see all the footage filmed with Keanu. That was filmed by Harry or right. Samantha, but primarily Harry. Right. Um, that was shotgun mic. Footnote. She's referring to a shotgun microphone, which is a highly directional mic that picks up sound from one specific direction while filtering out some of the background noise. Really anything we could do, you know, in this kind of run and gun type of rugged environment. When Trevor and I were filming, we did have lav mics. Footnote. A lav or lav is short for lavalier, which are the mics usually clipped on clothing. Harry notoriously never liked to wear his lav mic, so sometimes right, right. Trevor would feed it up through the back of his hat and actually have the lav come out of the top of his hat because he oh, wasn't okay. wearing a shirt, so there's exactly. nothing to put a lav mic on. But there's ways where we could kind of, you know, tape it to the top of his hat. Or a lot of it is just shotgun, you know, where you could we could kind of amp up in the sound design a distant recording. I would often go out and set up like Zoom mics either out in the rainforest or even on the platform. Like if we were sitting down for dinner and we were just kind of relaxing, having a conversation, I'd put up a, a Zoom mic just to record if, if anything happened. So it was a collection of get what you can, however you can. <laughs> right, right. Like every documentary. And I noticed when I was watching the credits, Foley. Footnote. Foley is the reproduction of everyday sound effects like footsteps. They're recreated in the studio and edited into the project to sound real. I was like, well, isn't that interesting that you had Foley? What what kind of, I mean, because obviously there's a lot of stuff going on out there, crunch, crunch, crunch through the, the trees and stuff. Where did you use Foley in the movie? This was all a very steep learning curve for me. This is our first feature film and, you know, working with a distributor like Amazon, all of a sudden everything becomes much more legit and you know you can actually pad out your budget and get everything done that you need so in terms of sound design we worked with an incredible sound designer and mixer Lawrence Everson who did the sound for American Factory which won you know the Oscar several years ago right. and he brought on a Foley team that he always works with they're actually based out of Germany it's called mm. Foley Farms the sound is there it's on camera but it needs that extra umph or it right, needs right more texture or detail. So for example, this is a funny one that when Lawrence told me how they did it, I, I laugh. The scene where Harry's jumping off the sandbank, it's kind of a love sequence with him mm -hmm. and Samantha and it's right. in the jungle, you're in the jungle and there's a beautiful rainbow and he does a belly flop onto the bank off the sand dune. They created that thud and that kind of body flop sound right right with a big sandbag throwing it down a hill oh wow cool 
Why is it unusual? I noticed it was mentioned early in the film. Why is it unusual to reintroduce animals? I mean, obviously the first ocelot was found in a tree when they cut the tree down and they were clear cutting. And then he was brought to be reintroduced into the wild after 18 months. Who came up with this idea? The kind of the science of wildlife reintroduction is relatively new. There are some people that are doing it in different parts of the world, but in different ways. You know, other animals, of course, like raptors or reptiles are much easier to reintroduce into the wild. But when you're talking about these large predators, it's a much longer process and something that just really we're starting to see as being a viable option. We've seen this in Yellowstone, you know, where they've reintroduced wolves, for example. But a lot of those are either relocating or they're they're not taking an animal from a infancy and trying to teach it to be wild. So what they're doing, and specifically with the case of, you know, Ojanueva and Harry and Samantha, it was about not just contributing to a more intact, flourishing ecosystem, but it was really about the life of these individual cats. Right, right. And that they deserved to be back in the wild. And we see in the film that, you know, they learn a lot in the process of doing this. There was really no, sure, yeah. there was some scientific data in terms of diets, but, you know, they they learned a lot in doing that and really being on the ground. And of course, filming was a part of documenting that. So now their protocols have changed quite significantly since what you see in the film. They try and, you know, have as little influence and as little bond with the wild animal as possible, which we see Harry and Keanu's bond grow quite strong and, you know, was quite difficult to break towards the end. Now, I know that you mentioned 18 months, and I know that, of course, one of the big issues besides the animals is Harry and his depression and his issues with suicidal ideation and cutting and all the other things. Trevor, you were over there shooting some of that. How was that for you sitting there having to watch him just, I guess, sit back essentially in a wide shot and just watching him suffer? How was that for you as a filmmaker and as a human being? I mean, it was definitely a very difficult period of time. There's no doubt about that. A lot of what was going on during the months when things were really difficult was actually just being more involved in his well-being and trying to figure out a solution to some sort of way forward. Um, and that was kind of my main focus. So a lot of a lot of the filmmaking stuff went to the side and, you know, I wasn't filming that much anymore. And so we were focused, you know, very much on just like, how do we get Harry to the end of this process and, and hopefully get him to leave? Because Keanu was getting to a point where he didn't need Harry anymore. And mm-hmm. it was important that Harry went home and you know, just got out of that project, especially because his relationship with Samantha, you know, their relationship was was disintegrating at the time. Although he seemed to be pretty open. I mean, you got him in all kind of very vulnerable states. So I assumed he must have been pretty open to whatever you wanted to shoot. Yeah, he was very open and he's very vulnerable on camera. And he, he shares pretty, you know, pretty openly and, and, and also vividly. Now, how did that affect you when you had to come out of all that? Oh, it definitely affected me deeply. I mean, in the process of it, I I suppose I didn't think about it a whole lot. You know, I think I was just focused on him and his mental health and getting him out of there. This is sort of typical for a lot of people where you tend to throw yourself into something and not necessarily keep, you know, a close watch on what it's doing to yourself. And when we wrapped principal photography, you know, it got to a point where I started to realize how much it all affected me and how much it had, you know, really uh, worsened my own depression and anxiety. And, you know, it's interesting, you just mentioned you shot all the final footage, and very luckily for you, you finished shooting in February of 2020. 
And everybody knows what happened in March of that year. So I, in a way, that was kind of a luck for y'all because you got to go into post, which, of course, you don't have to be around a lot of people. How long was the post, the editing process? And uh, I mean, you said you had a thousand hours of footage. It couldn't have been short. No. Well, like I mentioned, I mean, I started kind of working with some of the material even from the beginning. So right. 2018. And as this stuff goes, you know, you have to keep making pitch materials and teasers and applying for grants. And, you know, we spent a year just trying to find our first grant Wow! and assemble a team. And it's a process of convincing people and getting people to believe in you and to believe in the story and to see its potential. But the bulk of the edit and the kind of real, the real full focused post-production started in, yeah, 2021. So how are Samantha and Harry doing now? They've both come a great distance from the time that, you know, you see at the end of the film. Harry is definitely in a much stronger position than he was then. Uh, He's now engaged. He has a fiance and he talks about the future. And that's a really positive development is to have, you know, have Harry talking about what he's looking forward to. And he started a nonprofit. Yeah, so Samantha's also doing great. She's got a new partner as well that she's been with for several years. And her nonprofit has really ramped up their operations. They've now rescued well over 100 animals. And about 20 of the animals that they have in their care right now are different species of wild cats that are at various stages of reintroduction. One of them is a jaguar. So it's pretty exciting to see wow. how far her operation has come and, and the, the just how much they've learned since then. I think probably one of the really important things to point out is that she's learned through the process of the cats that you see in the film that it's really important to reduce human contact to as little as possible. So a movie like the one we made wouldn't actually be possible now because there's so little human interaction. Speaking of the movie you made being possible, how did y'all get to Amazon? How did they pick it up? That's a big deal. Huge deal. It was a stair step type of process, you know, like all good things are, I think. We brought on our two main producers, one of whom also edited with me, Joshua Altman, and our other producer, Alyssa Namias, both extremely seasoned in the documentary space and have been doing this work for a very long time. So they were able to then kind of give the reassurance and the the security that we could make this film. It was going to be something big. You know, we we had people believe in us that then um, convinced our financier who came on board. And that was also our sales agent, 30 West. We had our first rough cut, essentially. It was like a chopped up rough cut. Mm -hmm. And it was at that point that then they said, I think we're ready to pitch to Amazon. And it was pretty surreal to have these streamers, you know, and distributors want to pick up your movie. And and they... um, Did they give you notes? They gave us really good notes. Oh, good. Creatively, it was a joy working with them. They, um, yeah, we had two main creative executives at Amazon and it was very intimate and targeted. It, we pretty much, I would say we had full creative freedom, you know, and, wow. and that was something that was really important to us, but it was about two full years of editing just to kind of go back and clarify. We So what's next for y'all? I mean, you're going to be promoting this movie for a little bit, but then after that, what's looming? Time off. <laughs> <laughs> Recharge. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're looking at consulting on a few other films that we've come across recently. We also have a film that we kind of have started doing development work on in India. And it also involves wildlife, but all of them are kind of very much in their infancy. I want to ask you the last question I always ask everybody. What are y'all watching? I just finished the second season of The White Lotus last night. And right. I'm still like turning and turning in my bed thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> Trevor, how about you? 
Uh, I watched The White Lotus recently as well, and uh, but but not with Melissa. I mean, I love Succession. I think the writing in Succession and White Lotus both are just extraordinary. They're smart how they tackle so many different issues that are going on right now. I think I read your life partners as well as business partners. Is that correct? Eight years, yeah. Eight years. We just bought our first house together, actually. Terrific. Congratulations. So this has been a fascinating interview. The film is fascinating. I'll actually have my review up the day after this podcast drops, so keep everybody in suspense. But I want to thank you both, Melissa and Trevor, for coming in to talk about Wildcat. Thank you for having us, Jerry. Thank you so much, Jerry. I've been talking with Trevor Frost and Melissa Lesh, the co-directors of Wildcat, which is a prominent selection on Amazon Prime Video right now. There are links to it and some of the organizations they mentioned on the webpage at tvjerry.com. Coming soon. In theaters. The only movie slated to open this weekend is Megan. After a little girl experiences a trauma, her parents introduce this robotic friend. TV and streaming. Star Wars The Bad Batch on Disney, season two of this animated series. Copenhagen Cowboy on Netflix, a woman who's been a housekeeper gets involved in the Danish city's underworld. Jenny and Georgia on Netflix for the second season of the drama about a mother and her daughter. Paul T. Goldman on Peacock, a documentary about one man's efforts to uncover the truth. Anne Rice's Mayfair Witches. AMC is expanding Rice's immortal universe to take on witches in modern times. This is Jerry Williams. See you next week. For more Sister, including literally thousands Thousands of reviews, reviews, visit tvjerry.com. That's a wrap.